Well, guess what else we got, folks, here? Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> we got Johnny Depp. <laughs> Johnny Depp. We do. We got Johnny Depp. You look a little different there, uh, Captain Jack. How lucky are you guys to get me in from France and, and England? Yeah, forget uh, about it. So, uh, that's, so, guys, as you've probably figured out now, we got Joe Pistone, the Donnie Brasco. Absolutely. And, and it was funny because I was just looking at the T-shirts you were signing out there for a lot of folks, and you got the forget about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, the forget about it uh, T-shirt uh, for the Southern Gang, Southern California Gang Conference. Well, you were just saying, how many years have you been coming out here now? Since the inception. This is this will be my, uh, let's see, we, we missed a year because of COVID. It's be my 11th year. Well, how did you get started in this in the first place? I mean, you owe somebody a favor? Uh, <laughs> you owe somebody, they, 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 they made even offer he couldn't refuse. What do you think? We're back on the streets with the wise guys? You owe somebody a favor? <laughs> hey, you know. Uh, you know, all I can remember is, is, is getting a call from, from Mel. Mel Souza, who initiated this uh, mm-hmm. conference, and uh, he got my name from an FBI agent that he knew here in San Diego, uh, wanting to know if I'd come out and you know and and be a guest speaker. And I said, definitely. You know, I said, what's the uh, program? And he told me it was a Southern California gang conference and. Uh, all the proceeds went to the widows or widows of uh, fallen officers. And uh, I said, you can count me in on it. You know, just give me a date and mm-hmm. I'll be there. And mm-hmm. uh, so I came out and spoke for a few hours and then uh, come back every year since uh, and uh, did breakout sessions and also uh, helped out with the uh, whatever needed to be done you know <laughs> like uh you know carrying the water around <laughs> yeah yep. placing you know uh because it's a great cause i mean uh and i i do a lot of these events uh and you know nobody here gets a salary you know i mean all these all, all these volunteer all yep. these police officers doing it on their own time uh and what better uh situation can you be in than to, to help out the fallen officers uh families yeah. exactly and exactly. as impressed too last year um you saw the check that they had up when they had the barbecue you know the little they they donated i think it's one hundred and twenty eight thousand dollars last year yeah and that was in a down year i mean you're coming back right. COVID a, and stuff yeah it was a bad year because the year before was COVID. they didn't have the yeah they didn't have the event uh and remember they kind of threw that one together and then we missed you last year because i think you said like COVID, feeling ill or something yeah well i, I come down with the flu yeah i had come off i was up in uh northern california doing a uh a police uh, conference and uh, man I come down with the flu that put me in bed for a week and yeah. you know everybody well you got COVID <laughs> I went to the went to the emergency room and said you got the old fashioned flu boy <laughs> so you got <laughs> you know you, you're not lucky enough to get the COVID you got the old fashioned flu well if anybody was getting sick at that time it's like oh it's COVID you know it's like oh. <laughs> well that's what it was everybody's you know yeah and I said, well, I'm going to the emergency room. And uh, I went to the emergency room and said, nope, you got the flu. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny because you're down here with your wife. And who did your wife bring? My daughter. <laughs> <laughs> but my daughter's been coming for the yeah. past uh, four years. She has, yep. yeah. Yeah. She, uh, 
she retired uh, army colonel, yeah. veterinarian, and uh, she started to come with us. And uh, she loves the event because she, uh, you know, she's very pro law enforcement. Being oh, she's she's being a twenty some years in the military. Well, you you spent time with her. She's so she has a great sense of humor. Oh man, uh, and she is just so engaging. She was sitting up in the back row when the things were kicking off, and she's there with your wife. Yeah. And, uh it just yeah, it was just. I mean. Good family affair too. Yeah, well, she still thinks she's a colonel in the army, you know. So she bosses you <laughs> around a lot. Around. <laughs> Do you say yes, ma'am? <laughs> yeah. Well, I noticed she didn't make you salute this time. Well, that's because I told her I'll embarrass her in front of me, in front of my friends, you know. <laughs> well, you know, we talked uh, on the episode, but there was something we were talking about yesterday, and I want to kind of get into it too because it's kind of the behind the scenes stuff, but. It's something I know, Murph, you've run into with a number of people asking you to do documentaries, mm -hmm. you know, and we, it, part of the thing was the fast, what's the fascination with it? it? So, I mean, you were counting, how many documentaries have been done? My goodness, I tell you, I, I, I can't count how many documentaries I've done on the mafia and on undercover and on my six years infiltrating the mafia and on undercover uh and you know the story doesn't change <laughs> you know and like i said I, and what fascinates me is how many english production companies companies from england produce documentaries on the mafia uh and and again, I I've probably done maybe thirty, forty, and my story doesn't change. I mean, you know, what I know about the mafia doesn't change. What I know about undercover doesn't change, and my six years undercover infiltrating the mafia doesn't change. Um, but uh, <clears throat> well, here's a shocker for you. Every time Murph does his presentation, Pablo always dies. Does he? Yeah, I <laughs> That's, did, you know, I didn't know that. <laughs> I'm oh, sorry. Spoiler alert. Spoiler. I told you that, Joe. My God. Damn. You may not going to watch another one and think he's, he gets away. <laughs> but I think you may, I think it was you in, in that talking conversation. Talking Yeah. Talking about the genera generational uh, aspect of it. And that's, that's why they keep making them. There's a whole new generation of viewers out there. And that's the same thing with Pablo, right, Murph? It's like, why is there still, f I mean... I can't tell you how many people will get on the Facebook page or something and say, hey, I just saw Murph on yep. another documentary. And it's like, okay, guys, we're, we've established Pablo's dead. Well, I mean, it never changes. It, well, you know, I mean, you guys know this is our eighth year traveling around the world telling the same story. And I'm running into people here, especially, you know, at this conference, because this yeah. is our fourth or fifth year here. And... uh and, you know, they're like, I heard you last year. And I'm said, listen, it's the same story. It's the same jokes. I haven't changed a thing. You know, grab a pillow if you're coming in here. But I will tell you, though, I was there and you saw it too. Standing room only, both times. I mean, yeah. you had people going. We had to go find. I had to go run down a couple of the folks and get extra chairs. Because yeah. there were people that just packing the house. They wanted to hear the story. So The most important thing about yesterday is that I had more people in my Breakout than Lou Velozzi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're uh, clapping that. The same thing. I mean, you know, in the breakouts, it, and a lot of times you you have repeat, you know, repeat people, uh, but they still want to, you know, they still enjoy or like to hear the story, you know. Uh, 
Yeah, for them, it's, it's training, though. But uh, you, there's an old saying that says, training's like bathing. Neither one's permanent. You say, well, just because you heard the story one time, you got to come back and hear yeah. the extra nuance. Right. Or, and a lot of people tell you, you know, I heard you last year, but I just picked up on something. Did you say this last year? That Seriously, this is the same presentation over and over. Yeah. The time difference is you, the only difference. The I, length. I, I agree with you. And uh, like all day, I've been... Getting questions on the well, when are you going to do your main pre present presentation on the stage? You yeah. know, yeah. And I said, well, I, I you know, I, I did the breakout sessions. I'm not going to be on, you know, one of the main uh, presenters on the stage. And it was like, wow, we thought you were going to be one, you know. But um, I think, like you said, it's a generational thing, um, and. Uh, uh, these types of stories, the mafia and the cartels, people are fascinated by it. Yeah, there's some kind know. of a, an allure to them. As people want to live vicariously, they look at the power, the money, mm -hmm. the things that you could do. How can somebody get away with that kind of thing? Yeah, I, find, I found out, <clears throat> this is my take on the fascination of the American mafia, is that the average person watching a, a movie about the mafia uh, on on their television or on the big screen, and they see these guys. Let's face it; it's it's scripted, yep. right? The movies are scripted, mm -hmm. so they see these guys with you know thousand, two thousand dollar suits. They see them driving around in nice cars. They all got a big flash roll. You know, and they live in palatial estates. Uh, it always amazes me that when they show their offices, it's all palatial office. In reality, uh, not everybody in the mafia is living in a palatial, palatial estate. Uh, they don't all have big flash rolls, okay? And their clubs are you know the back room of, of a bar <laughs> or a can you know or a candy store uh, it's not like it is in the movies and uh, so but the average Joe blow right he has to and they don't see these guys ever working they don't ever see him working but the average Joe what does he do he gets up in the morning and he goes to work he works eight, ten hours a day. Mm -hmm. He comes home, right? And what's he do? He sits on his couch, has his beer, martini. But then what's he doing on the weekend? He's mowing the lawn. <laughs> He's running to Home Depot. He's fixing stuff around the house. But in these mafia movies, you never see these guys doing that, right? So that that's how they get their... You know, relaxation and and live through this mafia guy who they think has his great life. Live vicariously. In reality, these guys got the same life, other than that most of them don't work, and you know they get their money from stealing. But they got the same problems. Hmm. Every one of them isn't walking around with a big flash roll with money. They got wives that may be a pain in the arse. They got kids that may be a pain in the arse, just like Joe Blow sitting home. 
and kids need braces, they got to go to the doctor, you know. The, hey, but something interesting. So drill down on that a little bit because in the movie Donnie Brasco, you know, you got Al Pacino there who's who's sponsoring you. But it, just when you said that, it made me hit it. He was like anybody else. He was just a poor little schmuck. He might have been a made guy, but he's waiting there for the big boss to show up. They got to go out and earn. Mm -hmm. It was a dog eat dog world. I mean, it's like if you didn't earn every day, it was like you get the rent. You got to pay the rent, and the rent is due every day. You got to go out and earn it. That's exactly right. And and you know the way the mafia works is everything flows uphill to the boss. So if you're an associate, you know you got to kick into your made guy who's responsible to you the made guy has to kick into his captain who he's responsible to and then the captain in the organization has to kick up to the boss and they don't they don't care where you get the money and you have to pay it every week uh, wow so and and that's what they don't show you on you know and the movies and, and and that's i think that's the fascination is that you know joe blow is is living through what he thinks wise guys or mafia guys uh everyday life is like well that's if you just kind of change out what you said there so it's like take joe blow he goes so you got a you got a made guy who's got to go out eight to ten hours a day he's working the street collecting right and he still goes home to the he, he's not it's not tony soprano dude he doesn't have a five-car garage with maseratis he's got a beat-up car i mean even the fun one too i still i think you said this is accurate right like in the movie when al pacino says hey i need to what, what did you call it he needs a, a not a bump but uh see no uh, he need money from you, even though he could afford it. Like he said, you know, you you went over to the apartment. And he said, "Hey, man, can you give me a, a pinch or a Grinch or something?" I forgot what the name of it was. Uh, but he, he wanted some money from you, just a which he would never pay you back. You, you, oh, <laughs> I think you, are you talking about the Christmas present when I when I gave him an envelope and I had two hundred dollars in yeah. it, and uh, he gave me an envelope with two hundred dollars in it, and then as I'm leaving his apartment, he says, "Hey, Donnie, can, can you give me that beaner back? Yeah, <laughs> you beaner. know, can I borrow that beaner back from you? <laughs> so you just gave it to me as a Christmas present, you know." <laughs> oh. And then he gets the money back. But hey, so but you've also mentioned something yesterday too. It was kind of a point of frustration for you. And I think it was the same thing with you, Murph. You reach a point where it's kind of like, guys, can't do this for free. A lot of these production companies or a lot of these people want you to do everything for free. Yeah, you know, uh, and 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 Murph can I think can uh, can relate to this. Is you know we have that government mentality. You know, being being uh, agents, you know, Murph being DEA, myself being FBI, and even police officers, you know, you have that mentality uh, that this is your salary and this is what it is, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, <clears throat> you get out and people come to you and you still got that government mentality that uh, you don't realize that th there's money to be made besides being on the job. You know, and I know I used to get <clears throat> in the beginning, uh, I'd get requests to do uh, a documentary and I'd do it. And they say, well, we're going to pay for your your airfare, put you up in a nice hotel and buy you a meal. You know, well, in the government, your your airfare was riding in the cargo. You know, yeah. but yeah. here, hey, we're gonna we're gonna put you in business class. Whoa, you know, we're gonna go That's a big business deal. class, right? <laughs> That's a big deal. <laughs> That's a big deal, and you're gonna be the suite. 
you know? You're yep. traveling with the government. You're in a you're eight by ten room. You know, hotel six, sharing it with another agent. Yeah, you're down the basement. You know, <laughs> and your and your meal money is thirty five dollars a day. You know, and you had that, and you had that tax form, so you didn't have yeah, to pay tax right? on the you, hotel. You room. had to fill out the tax form to give to the hotel guy, so you didn't have to pay the the government. <laughs> I mean, it was like nuts. So you're whoa, this is really you know, I'm in I'm in high heaven here, and then you're and then. You start talking to you know people, and did you get paid for that? No, they 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 gave me a business class ticket. They put me up in a suite. They fake me. What are you crazy? Well, I don't know. You know. Then you realize, hey, somebody's making money off of this. They're not doing this for nothing. Yeah. So then you get another call and. Uh, and 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 I know what I did. I I had a good friend that was in the business, in the movie business, and he's the one that that straightened me out. He said, "Joe, you don't do this for nothing because everybody's making money. Everybody's making money." So I would, you know, I would say, "Well, if you want me to do it, uh, here's here's my price." Oh, we don't pay for documentaries. I heard and, the same thing. Right? Yep. And I would say, well, okay, so that means you're not getting paid. Oh, yeah, I'm getting paid. Well, you just said you don't pay for documentaries. Oh, no, we don't pay We don't pay Talent. The, the, the guest. Yeah. I said, well, well without the guest, do you have a documentary? <laughs> no, I, you don't. I would say, well, without me, what do you got? That's right. Go get somebody else that spent six years, you know, undercover with the mafia, and you're making a documentary about. Under- I was going to say you worked the mob long enough. You should have known everybody gets their get, man. <laughs> everybody has to get That's their right. beak wet, as they say in the mob, right? <laughs> I got to get my beak wet. So, <clears throat> if they want you, they'll pay. And you know, I did probably the first three or four, you know, on short change. And then after that, it, it was, you're going to pay me what I ask you or get somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who else are they going to get? I mean, that's the thing. It's what you do is you end up with the second or third rate, and I don't want to say agent, but somebody. It just reminded me, too, of when we, we interviewed Dave Reichert from the Green River Killer. Right. And when they did a documentary, he refused to be on one of them because he said, you, you wanted to glorify Gary Ridgway. It was, yeah. you needed to be about the victims. So they said, well, okay, they didn't use him, but they used one clip of him. But he mm-hmm. is the main person, but yet they did this documentary. And they're talking to all these other people. And it wasn't the investigator. It was. It's like talking to. It's like talking to an admin person about yeah. Donnie Brasco. It's like, why don't we just talk to Donnie Brasco? Oh, because we didn't want to pay. We didn't want to pay Joe Pistone. So we got the janitor who happened to be working one night that heard them talking about the case. That made the arrest. <laughs> who, who was there when they made the arrest about the? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, and it, it, it's funny because I get I get a lot of phone calls from retired guys you know agents and and police officers oh i got a call from from a producer in in hollywood you know wants to do my story and you know the first thing i asked him well give me the guy's name and i find out the guy's a third rate actor (laughs) because everybody in hollywood's a producer (laughs) right and i tell him the guy's never produced anything he hasn't even been in a movie that was you know anything but a third-rate movie uh but some guys fall for it yeah you know because uh, producer hollywood uh and then I, again you get calls they, they want me to do 
you know, interview, and I said, well, don't do it for nothing. Right. And then you get the thing, they'll call me back and say, well, they don't want to pay me. <laughs> you know, and, and, and you relive it all. Well, here's what they, they, they want to give you a good plane ride, and they want to give you a, mm-hmm. a suite, right? Yeah. Ask them if they're getting paid. So I give them the same spiel that I went to for the first three times. But some guys, I mean, I'm sure you had this, Murph. Some guys don't take your advice. Right. Because they, I, I don't know what it is, but, oh, I'm going to be on camera. You know, I'm going to be on a, a documentary. Uh, and then after after it's over, they don't realize that you don't, and they tell you you're only been in a few for an hour. There's no interview that takes an hour. By the time they set up the lighting, by the time they sit you where they want you to sit, by the time they go through all the preliminaries, you're there all day. Yeah. That's what, even in Narcos, you know, Javier and I got a little, we got like a four second cameo appearance at the end of season two. We were in that bar for eight hours yeah. in Bogota. Yeah. When, and they had uh, Pedro, they were filming a scene with him also. But I had a, um, uh, it's it's amazing. I have the same experiences as you where agents call and friends and they're like, man, they, they want to pick up my books. I'm going to, they're flying me out to Hollywood, you know, and this is the guy that made this movie or he was the, I don't know, second executive assistant to whoever, you know, and, the, and I just want to see what advice you got. And the first advice is, do you have a Hollywood attorney? That's don't right. get a, a, a Washington attorney. Don't get a, you know, an Atlanta attorney. Get don't somebody get your real Hollywood. estate attorney. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And one, eight, this, uh, I, I'm not going to mention any names here, but because I really don't like the guy, but it's a funny story. He was being interviewed about Narcos Mexico. And and he did have an integral part in it down there. And he called me and he says, listen, how much do you get paid? And I said, well, we signed a non-disclosure agreement. I can't tell you that. Well, you know, I've already told him I'm not doing it for less than a million dollars. I know who you're talking about now. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I busted that laughing. He's like, what's so funny? You didn't get a million? I'm like, dude, are you kidding? I said, let me tell you this. And this is the truth. Between what they paid me for each, you know, two seasons of Narco, what you got paid per year, combined with my retirement check from DEA, I made more money working as an agent. <laughs> yeah, that's what everybody thinks that, you know, I get the calls on, on the books and everybody thinks that they're going to become millionaires off right. their book. Yeah. And I'm saying, first of all, and not, not to disrespect you, but your story's not national. You don't have a national story. Yeah. Okay. Don't expect police officers and your buddies to buy your book. Right. Because what it is is, hey, you got a book for me to sign? You got the book? Oh, no, I thought, you know, I thought you'd give me one. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, you don't know how many. I'm sure, Murph, you get the same thing. I get more emails from friends of mine that, hey, my neighbor, I told my neighbor about you, and uh, I'd like to give him a book. Can you send me one? Yeah. Can can you send me an autographed picture of you on the roof? Well, no, I don't have those. You know, yeah. it's it's. Uh, it was funny because we were with the with the folks we were hanging out with yesterday, which some of them are going to be on the podcast. Some of them have already been on the podcast. But you know, they're like, "Wow, you know, you got that picture, Murph?" And I'm like, I, "At dinner last night, I pulled it up on the internet." Yeah, I don't carry that picture around with me. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's. Uh, 
but you know, like I say, everybody thinks that they're going to make a million dollars off their book. Yeah. And I tell them, you're lucky. Let me tell you, you're lucky if you get a ten thousand dollar advance off of your off of your story. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And if you don't make it back, you'll never get anything published again. You got to make your advance back for them. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 what they don't realize is that is like my first book. You know, I had a ghostwriter. You know, uh, and I was lucky in that I had a good deal. I got a good deal because I had friends in the business, uh, and I come up with a good. You know, it's funny because the first book we sat down with every major writer that wrote mafia books and every one of them was like well you got to do a b c and d i said well a b c and d was not is not part of my story but you'll never sell that book you'll never sell that you you'll never sell that book because you got to have sex you got to have this about the wise guy i said well there was none. I'm not going to talk about wise guys and girlfriends, and that, that that's got nothing to do with it. You'll never sell it. So I finally, and and believe me, these were name, name, name authors, you know. Uh, and I said, no, forget it. I'm, you know, I'm passing. passing. Did you just say forget about it? Forget about forget it. Forget about right. it. That's what I told them. <laughs> that's what I did. And, and 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 you know, not to mention names, but I'm talking about. New York Times best-selling authors, mm -hmm. but it was going to be their book. And then I finally hit upon Richard Woodley, <clears throat> who had written a uh, a nonfiction about drug dealers, and he said, "This is your book." So I just dictated, you know, and then he he put it into book form. So how how impressed were you with his work? I mean, obviously the book got published, but it seemed like he got it right. Did he? Did do you feel like he captured everything the oh, way you wanted it? Definitely, yeah. because again, like he said, he said this is not my book. This is your book. All I'm doing is put it in into proper form, mm. you know. And I, so I was lucky there. And like I say, I was lucky with the movie because. <clears throat> A good friend of mine, high school friend of mine, Mr. May rest in peace, was one of the top casting directors uh, in Hollywood at the time. And uh, he hooked me up with the right people. Uh, and the uh, the screenwriter was a was a great guy. Uh, and he wrote a great screenplay. Well, and that's the thing, too. I mean... At that time, Al Pacino was a probably uh, was a bigger name than Johnny Depp, but Johnny yeah. Depp, you know, up and coming. But did you get any insight or say? Uh, not that you get for the final decision maker, but did you get to weigh in on who was going to play who? Were they the right people, or did they run any of the? Hey, here's who we're going to put. Here's who we want for this part. Yeah, they ran guys by me, and but you know, and and they at, at the time every A listed actor. Uh, wanted to do the part every a-listed actor wanted to do the part which part was the more interesting one for them was it uh al pacino's role or johnny depp's role or were they kind of even <clears throat> johnny depp's role yeah yeah well that says a lot about your story then yeah mm -hmm. johnny depp's role yeah was he the right person for that role 
He turned out to be, didn't he? <laughs> he did I mean, a fantastic job. He turned out to be. Uh, he wasn't. He he wasn't the when when Barry Levinson, who was who bought my bought my book rights to the movie. Uh, he got Paul Antanasio, who was the screenwriter, and he wrote. He got it right, and then he sent it out to, like I say, every top listed actor. And you know, actors. Well, I think you know. I think uh, this scene should be. <laughs> and to Barry Levinson's credit, he said, "I'm not changing it." He said, "This is what he did." This Why is, would <laughs> this is Joe's story? It's not fiction. Yeah, you know. Uh, so, uh, and he 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 picked Al. He sent it to Al for for Lefty. Uh, and <clears throat> it was several months before Al finally committed. Uh, I mean, he loved the script and everything. Uh, and then, to his credit, he said, "You know, I'm not. I don't know. The, I don't know Johnny Depp." He said, "But he's a terrific actor." He said, "You ought to send him the script." Oh, no kidding! Yeah. Wow, because so we always was... thought Johnny Depp was too young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's too, he's too good looking. <laughs> I mean, come on, Joe, you looking good, brother? Come yeah, on, man. I, but you know, I mean, he's he's you know. Uh, and you had hair back then. Yeah, I did have hair back then. Oh, now here comes Mister Smart Alec. But there. Uh, <laughs> no, he's right. I, you know, I, I, uh, and he he really hadn't done any any movies. That were this real, really shit, you know. Yeah, sir. I mean, this is a major leading. But role everybody now. knew he was a great actor, and and so they sent it to him. He read the script, and man, he was right in, and he 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 nailed it, and Al nailed it. In fact, Al Pacino should have got the best actor that year. I forgot who who got it, but he was up for and and. And then later on, actually, the person who got it said it should have went to it should have went, went to Al. Wow! For his you know his portrayal of, of Lefty. And there was one other interesting thing you said too is that even with your book, even years later, you're still getting a couple royalty checks a year. People are still buying it. I can't believe it. I mean, that, that book came out in '88 and it's still selling. Wow! It's it's crazy. That keeps on giving. Wow! Yeah, I mean, it's you know, like my agent said, I can't. He says I got authors that. You know, they're not getting their royalty checks from books that they were, you know, written in 1988. It wow. still sells. Crazy. And That's the fantastic. movie. And the same thing with the movie. You know, they say it has legs. That movie's on all the time. Like, you know, I'm still getting checks for, <laughs> for the movie. The movie came out in 97. Nice. 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 Well, I know who's buying drinks tonight, Murph. There you go. <laughs> well, inside the house because we're going to a mixer. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to have all you want. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, look. I mean, that's. We just wanted to do a quick catch up with you, and it was good to hear that. But it's like I did not know. I did not see. There's an interesting thing. I did not know Al Pacino sent the script. Said you got to send it to yeah, Johnny. He was Depp. the one. Uh-huh. He wasn't as. I mean, you know, Depp was on the list, but they 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 figured. You know, somebody else probably would have taken it before Depp had they just gone that route, right? But Al kind of yeah. made Johnny go to yeah. the top of the we list. Thought, we, you know, really, they, they they thought Johnny was was really 
too good looking for not when I say good looking I mean not rugged enough. Yeah. But he nailed it, man. I mean, yeah. there's nobody that could have done it. I mean, after you see him and like I spent months with him before and it was like, whoa. And in fact, one time on a set, my mother was on, on, on set and Johnny's walking away from her and she thought it was me. She's calling me. She thought it was me. Wow. Because he, you know. He had he, your mannerisms yeah. He had to walk yeah. down and everything. Yeah. yeah. Holy cow. Oh man, that's a good actor. Huh? Yeah, oh, he's the he's the, and he's such an. I tell you what, <clears throat> he's such a good-hearted guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we still keep in touch. I, I'm good friends with his sister. I keep in touch with his sister, and <clears throat> tell you the kind of guy he is. Right after the movie came out, a year later. My wife comes down with cancer, right? So my our good friend Lou DiGiamo, who was uh, the casting director I went to high school with, and Lou passed has passed now. Tells him, calls him, and says, "Hey Johnny, you know, uh, Joe's wife just got diagnosed with some pretty bad cancer, right?" I get a phone call. He said, he called me Pistola. That's what he calls me. He said, Pistola. Yeah, what's up, Johnny? He says, why don't you tell me that uh, your wife has cancer? I said, well, you know. He said, I'm going to tell you right now. He said, wherever she has to go, I don't care where. I'll send a plane. I'll fly her there wherever you need to take her to get treatment, I'll make sure she gets there and we'll take care of everything. Wow. That's the kind of guy he is. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Holy cow. Well, so uh, let's get you and Johnny on the podcast and we'll revisit Donnie Brasco. (laughs) You know, he just, uh, I I got a text, he just fractured his ankle. Oh. Well, perfect time to do a podcast. Yeah. That's it. That's it. But the the sad thing is, is that, you know, He's with the band, the Hollywood Vipers. Yeah. And they had a tour. Oh, yeah, yeah. They had a tour up in uh, on, the, on the East Coast. Uh, but they, they canceled it uh, because his doctor told him he can't. Oh, can't be on that. Can't put pressure on that ankle. Yeah, so. Yeah. I, hey, I love the idea. Yeah. We could talk to him about playing Joe Pistone. We talked about him <laughs> what it's like to play uh, you know, law enforcement in a movie. And then we could also say, and this is the day we almost interviewed Captain Jack Sparrow. There you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I still my favorite movie. Uh, yeah, I still care yeah. yeah. Love oh, he stuff. did that so well. All right, Joe. Well, buddy, we're going to get back to uh, letting you sell T-shirts and books. Well, we're going to get back you. to the conference. And thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. You guys are doing a great job. Thanks, brother. And yet, this will actually be, Murph, I think this will be our final interview from the gang conference. And, and we save the best for last. We started with the best, and we end with the best. We started with Joe Pistone, oh. your mentor. Mm-hmm. And we're going to end 
with Mr. Bob Mazur, who's got his new book out, The Betrayal, The True Story of My Brush with Death in the World of Narcos and Launderers. Yeah, babe. And that follows on your book, The Infiltrator, which we talked about in your first interview. Yeah, it was a second uh, UC operation I did about three years after The Infiltrator story. Well, let's let's talk of this one. This today, your presentation was a little unique because one of the subjects of your book actually happened to be here. Yes. How? <laughs> yeah. And if our listeners could see him right now, he's got the biggest shit-eating grin on his face. <laughs> well, but, but let's set context. This was the guy who dimed you out to the Colombians, Guzman. Right. And he, he, came, he came on stage. He talked. I'll give him credit for showing up. But, I mean, I was very upfront. I said, he, to me, played the victim card too much. It's like I was a victim. I was, oh, I was going to shoot myself. I was going to do this. I was going to But at the end of the day, it's still unconscionable what he did to you. <laughs> but the interesting thing was, though, you had the opportunity to come out right after him and basically rebut a lot of the stuff. So, I mean, just kind of tell us that part of it, how that was coming down here and, and in a sense confronting him for the first time. And, and before you do, Bob, if I can just insert, yep. and please correct me if I get this wrong, but I want to set the context for our listeners in that here you are in a long-term undercover, years-long undercover, going after the financial side of the Medellin cartel. You are working hand-in-hand with this guy who you've trusted with your life, a fellow law enforcement officer who goes rogue who, as you're going undercover in Colombia, which hadn't been done for years and years and years because of the danger factor, at the same time, he's telling the bad guys in Tampa, don't deal with a guy from Sarasota, which was you, because you were a cop. And the bad guys in Colombia are saying he can't be a cop because he's down here and DEA wouldn't send a cop down here. Is that all true? Uh, yeah. Uh, the the timing was, well, it was the, the Cali cartel in the second one, but yeah, um, it's true that uh, when he was when I was in Colombia, uh, and I knew that they would assume that I wasn't a Fed if I showed up there, mm-hmm. because it was well known in the uh, drug circles that DEA wasn't letting anybody uh, go to Colombia undercover. And but I I talked to my boss Mike Powers who has a a way of persuasion at, oh, yes, for people does. at headquarters, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and and I, I convinced Mike Mike that the um, it would be really important for me to be able to show up there because there were these rumblings about whether or not I was uh, a Fed, and um, so we got it authorized, and I get to go down there. He had already outed me. Guzman had already outed me before I got there. Uh, but when I got there, and Louis Latore, who was the Cali money launderer, was so shocked, he called, and I got this because I interviewed Latore mm-hmm. after we arrested him. And um, he said, you know, when you showed up, I just said, well, he can't possibly be a federal agent. So I called Antonio. That's the undercover name that Guzman was using. And... He said words to the effect of, maybe he went down on his own, but I'm telling you, he's a DEA agent. Man. He he had trouble saying that today. That's why, that's the only question I asked him. You know, what was the conversation between you and Lewis when I was in Columbia? And he hemmed and hawed, and and the audience really picked picked up up on it. Uh, and, and let's, so the other thing we didn't tell people is he presented, then you presented, and then you both were on stage together. Yes. How was that? You know, I was doing really well with it until this morning when I woke up. <laughs> and I said, you know, I never thought I'd go on stage with a guy who nearly got me killed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, but then the whole goal of this is to share experiences with active law enforcement officers who can get valuable takeaways and 
gain things that will keep them safer. And so for that reason, I was driven to want to do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, uh, I, I didn't really... I'm, I'm glad my wife didn't come because <laughs> yeah. uh, she she was she's very transparent. She would have punched him in the nose, and uh, she always says, "You know, do you realize you were three minutes away from not getting to dance with your daughter at her wedding?" Oh man, that drives it home, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so tell yeah. us tell us about that. What is that scenario? You were three minutes away from. Yeah. So Louis Latoury had a real problem. Um, he had lost three or four million dollars of the Cali cartel's money. And he was dealing directly uh, with people like Pacho Herrera. Mm-hmm. And so he, uh, he had no choice but to continue to launder. And he was having to do it for basically free to try to pay back what he owed. And so what he and I guess Guzman came up with was, well, if we know when the DEA is going to end the undercover operation and we don't have money in the pipeline, you'll be able to launder money. And one thing I didn't bring out is Willie coached them on how to do a money drop to us without having leads that we could follow because what he coached them to do is they put the money in a um, bus station locker. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then they went to a hotel rented a room, one of the sisters gave a note to the uh, guy at the desk and said, "Some uh, a guy by the name of so-and-so is going to come here when he does. Please give him the envelope with this note in it. So then they deal over the phone with RUC, and they say, go to the desk of the hotel and get the envelope. And... He gets the envelope and it says, you know, Greyhound bus station, such and such, locker, whatever, and the key's in there. Mm-hmm. Well, there's not too many leads you can get off that. And we, right. yeah, and we called them dead drops. But Lewis said, yeah, he came up with a great plan for us to be able to do these dead drops. And um, so Lewis had to continue to work with somebody to launder money or he was going to get killed. So he came and met me at an office in Panama City, Panama. He came and met me. By this time, I'm really suspicious about whether or not Guzman had outed me. Latore shows up. He's really nervous. He stays for 30 minutes. He says he wants to get back in business with us, blah, 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 blah. And then he leaves. After we take the case down, one of the women, the sisters of the informant, who said they had a physical relationship with Guzman... Um, said, which was something he didn't bring out either, did he? No, and he denied it. Um, he, he that seemed to be important for him to deny because his wife was there, and you know, mm-hmm. that's a minor point, kind of. But the the uh, sister of the informant, we debriefed, and she said, "Oh yeah, when Lewis came to see you, he flew in on his private plane into Punta Patia. He was met by three guys in Panama." all of whom are hit guys. They had, all had machine guns. And he told them, if he wasn't back at the car by X time, that they should go into that room and kill everybody other than him that was in the room because the only reason he wouldn't be out would be because DEA had arrested him. Mm-hmm. So, jeez. Wow. three minutes before the, the witching hour, 
he showed back up at the car. So they didn't come in. But I had no idea that that was going on. And you mentioned when you were up on stage too, at some point you said you suspected there was a rat. What was your first indication that, you, and you didn't know it was Guzman at the time, but what was, what was your first indication that we've got a mole, that we've got a leak from inside our unit? Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny that even before the operation started, my partner from the prior operation when I was at Customs, Amir Abreu, best undercover agent in the world, amazing agent, amazing. And so I told him I'm going to be doing a DEA money laundering thing, and they got this kid to work with me. And would he mind kind of telling him what it was going to be like because this kid had never done a money laundering undercover operation. And he goes, well, who is he? And I said, no, it's Willie Guzman, officer of the year. He goes, brother, we got to meet. You're going to get effing killed. And so I met with him. Now, Amir was doing an undercover. He had a, in Tampa, he had a money service business in the Latin community. Mm -hmm. And so he was going to a lot of the Colombian clubs and, and those types of things. And he would see Guzman with these informants who happened to be targets of Amir's investigation. And he said, listen, that's not a cop uh, informant relationship. There's definitely, there's stuff that's going on. And so I said to uh, him, would you go and see Mike Powers? And he said, well, I'll, I'll just have to get the approval of my office. And so, because, I mean, you, you're going to start throwing mud at the officer of the year in the entire city. Right. You know, you want to make sure you get blessed before you go over and say those things. So he went to my old boss, who I didn't have a very good relationship, but now I was in DEA, so that didn't matter. And um, when he asked to go, uh, the bosses there said, F. Mazur, he's in, he's in DEA now. He's on his own. Oh. Yeah. So Amir went on the QT and talked to Mike. And Mike, Mike is a guy who everything is black and white. There's no gray. And this kid had made a lot of cases for the office. He was highly, highly regarded. And rumors and innuendo wasn't going to change the game. So... I unfortunately had had a concern about him way, way early. Um, so my decision was, because Mike said to me, well, you know, Bob, you're going to have one of two choices. You're either going to do the UC op with Willie or you're not going to do it at all. And I said, well, and as I confess to the audience today, by this stage, undercover for me, um, information had become a heroine. I... I had been the, the prior operation. I mean, I'd get I'd get info, and three days later we'd seize a ton of coke, and I'd get more info, and we'd seize two, three million, and then I'm inside of the biggest bank that we were ever able to take down for money laundering, and I'm finding out about where Manuel Noriega's dirty money accounts are located in Luxembourg, and I'm finding all kinds of stuff, and every time I got something like that, for me. The next piece that I got had to be bigger than the piece before. Mm -hmm. And I almost needed to take more of a risk yeah. in order for it to be as fulfilling as that the last one was. And the thought of not doing the undercover operation at DEA was like, a that, that was a non-starter yeah, for that's me. That's a no-go. That's a no-go. I'm going to do it. So uh, my, my theory at that time was, I just got to keep this kid close to me. As long as I keep him close to me and as long as this case is going to show him to be a superstar, I think I'm going to be okay. So I talked to my wife 
And I said, Hunt, I know you're going to think this is crazy, but Amir thinks he's dirty. It may be, but I want to have him over for dinner. Now, I was living under another name mm -hmm. because of the contract uh, from the prior case. And um, so we had him over, and we broke bread together, his wife, me, my wife, and him. And um, it really, in the end, I mean, that my wife can't, that's why it's probably a good thing she's not here because mm -hmm. she can't, she can't, uh, she can't fathom um, even looking at, at, at the guy. I just feel as though he potentially is, you know, if there's one out of the 900 attendees of this conference that got anything from him being up there, even if it was because of the fact that they didn't believe him or, you know, in any way, my thinking is it's worth it. If there's any way that it can benefit any of the attendees here, that's, you know, that's important. But now as we went on in the case, when he came to me five months into the case and he said, hey, uh, I'm going to have to leave the operation because I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back to homicide. Now I'm really worried because he's not going to have an investment in the case. So I immediately took his cell, his undercover cell phone and I said, okay, you're not going to need that anymore since you say you're out. And, um, and then I went into the analyst and I said, get in touch with SOD. Let's run the phone numbers. I want to see whether there's any phone, num phone communication between those, uh, any Colombian numbers, his home, his cell, his private cells, and see whether or not anything doesn't fit. And what I found was two phone calls that had been made from his home phone, hardline phone, that SOD had picked up that had gone uh, to Latore's office. And was that down in Panama? No, it was in Colombia. It was in, in Bogota. Colombia? Okay. Yeah. So I went over to Willie and I said, What the hell is going on? Why is there a phone call from your house to Latore? And he goes, Oh, man, I, I, I remember that. I got nervous that one day. I got nervous and, and I, and I, thought I was using my, my cell phone, but I used my home phone, oh. and, but there was nobody in the office, so it was only like a minute or so, and, and I thought, well, why write a report? Because the guy's secretary answered and said he wasn't in town, so, and I, so I, I didn't write a report. Well, I mean, it's not exactly a smoking gun, but it certainly is for me. I know I got a problem. Yeah, when it's your ass on the you line, absolutely. And when you said it was from his private number, you mean his home number or his number, private number at DEA? His home number. So how does a guy get confused whether or not he's on a mobile or a fixed landline? Yeah, I know. Well, and that's one of the rules. When you're running these investigations, you don't you, use your home number. No. Well, hell no. well you don't do work from your house. Do you? Hey, I'm going to call Pablo Escobar from my home number. Okay. That's mm. even before cell phones. When I was in Miami, when an informant called, you didn't return the call from your home number. You went up to a payphone. Pay yeah. You yeah. took your little recorder, your little suction cup, and you recorded. I remember phone call. that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then there were little things here and there. But what really saved us was that um, one of the guys in Fort Lauderdale had a non-testifying informant, who we all referred to as the Princess. And she was meeting at the highest levels of the Cali cartel. Um, the people that reported directly to Miguel Rodriguez of Huela. Mm -hmm. And she's in the meeting and in walks one of the money brokers that I had introduced 
Guzman to, and he starts bragging that they have this Tampa cop who's on the take oh and how goodness. he saved them because they were otherwise going to do a lot of business with this guy in Sarasota, but he told them that he's a DEA agent. So the problem we have now, though, is she's a non-testifier. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean when she's a non-testifier? Well, an agreement had been made with DEA that she was never going to be purposely surfaced. She would not have to testify. She would not be disclosed as an informant in a case. Just more like making intros, getting you into yeah. the right places. Yeah. Um, the Fort Lauderdale office was running a money laundering op. Uh, Renee Delacova was mm-hmm. one of the guys who was in it. Mm. Um, and and so, uh, okay, we know now, but we can't prove it. So I went to my ASAC and I said, do me a favor. I, just let me stay under three more months. And we got to f- disinformation him. He only met two out of like 45 targets. And I didn't want to give up the other 43. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I said, and Mike, I know I can definitely talk my way out of this if you'll let me go back to Columbia one more time. He went crazy on me. <laughs> let me see. You've been, this guy's trying to out you. They've told you that you're DEA and now you want to go back to the, into the jaws of the lion. And oh no, I'll be good. Hold my beer. Watch this. <laughs> None of us ever claimed to be hired because we were real smart. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I keep going back to the fact that I, I had this sickness and my sickness was, you know, information is heroin. And I did not want to give up the opportunity to be able to get what, what my goals were there. And, um, and, and Mike was right. I should not have gone back and I didn't, but he did allow me to go back to Panama city um, and I had more cover than I used to have um, before that. But the most important meeting I ever had with him, because I knew, he, he would call me like once a month and go, Bob, you know, hey, man, we haven't gotten together. Let's get together. And um, um, When you say him, you're talking about Guzman. Guzman. Yeah. So he invites me to lunch, and we go to lunch. And uh, I, I go to, uh, I went to my GS on this one, and I said, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I want to. I need to be wired up. This this guy. This is a bad guy. And he goes, he's a cop, you know. I go, I don't care if he's a cop. Anyway, it, I I was not wired when I went back in, and I said to the case agent, uh, Jeff Brunner, I said, Jeff, there's no doubt in my mind, what he's really wanting me to go there for, will be the last thing he asks me before we leave the table, because usually. When people are having, for a manipulative re- uh, reason, a meeting, it's like, how do I really fit it in? How do I really fit it in? This is what I really want to know. And, he's, and it generally comes up right near the end. So he's going into his wallet to pay the bill, and he's looking down, and he goes, uh, hey, did you ever deal with that Latori guy again much? I said, ah, maybe just a little bit here and there. He goes, but, you know, when, when do you guys think you're going to take it down? <laughs> so I thought he might be asking that. And I knew that there was a World Cup soccer game in Orlando in June of that year. Mm-hmm. We were going to take the case down in February. So I go, man, well, you're, you're not going to believe this. this we're going to get every one of them because what we got is we've got tickets to the World Cup games. We're going to set them up in Disney World and they're all going to come and have a great time and blah, 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 blah. He took that right back to all of them. Latore's 
dealing with us again. And then we take the case down in February. And when we did, we had Mike Powers call Willie and say, hey, come on to the office. I need to talk to you. So he comes over to the office and Mike goes, uh, gives him the line. In about an hour, we're all going to go out for a beer. You really helped on this case a lot. And um, we're going to celebrate. And by the way, you know that money broker you met? Yeah. <laughs> He's in Fort Lauderdale. We're going to be arresting his butt tonight. So Willie goes, but yeah, I'm, you know, I'm in homicide. I've got all these reports I got to do. I'm not going to be able to go to the party, but uh, thanks anyway. So he gets in his car. We've got a chopper up there with, with a gyro camera, and we've got a uh, surveillance. Paul Pitts is flying a surveillance uh, plane up there, and we got agents from a totally different city in there to do surveillance. Mm -hmm. He goes to a payphone. He goes to another payphone. He goes to another payphone, and then he meets at a Burger King with his informant, one of the informants that had been committing crime with him mm. and he goes man we got to get in touch with uh, pedro because uh, they know he's going to be in fort lauderdale and uh, you got to get your sister to warn him to go away and um so the informant who's a lot smarter than willie goes why would they tell you all of this stuff <laughs> he goes and they're probably out there watching you right now so he freaks out. He gets in his car, takes the sunroof uh, back, and he's driving 20 miles an hour on a highway. Then he goes through a Burger King, doesn't buy anything through the drive through window. He's driving like crazy everywhere. And then he goes home. So <clears throat> he knew, I think, by then. He, Mike Powers is a great, great agent, but I'm not so sure undercovers his, his, his best thing. So uh -huh. he said later, when I, we arrested Guzman, he said... Mike was really nervous during that meeting. I knew something was up. No, uh, <laughs> so, so anyway, so we didn't arrest him. We gave him a month, and we, we made cases on both of his informants. We convinced them to cooperate. One of them was not in jail. We got that guy wired up. We gave him a grand jury subpoena, and we had him go back to Guzman and say, agents just came to my house and gave me the subpoena. And they're trying to talk to me about you. What the hell's going on? Well, Guzman had been visited by a defense attorney in town who had a reputation of being close to a lot of organized crime guys. When he met with Guzman in the attorney's car, this is before we get the guy wired up, he uh, turns his radio up. Mm -hmm. He goes to Guzman, because Guzman even admitted this later, he goes, give me a dollar. Guzman gives him a dollar. He goes, fine, I'm your lawyer now. So this is privileged. The feds know, and they're coming after you. Wow. Yeah. So he's trying to trust the one informant we've got wired up, but every time he, go, he gets in the car, he turns the radio up. Mm -hmm. Good lesson from his lawyer. A dollar well spent. So, <laughs> so now we try one more time, and we put the mic in the left lapel of the uh, CI. And luckily for us, Guzman's in the driver's seat. He and he, le he, and he leans, leans over, over. <laughs> and he, he cups his hand right over the mic, and we got him. We absolutely got him. Oh. And then I did a financial search warrant. I did a document search warrant on his house, and we took him down, and we got all the documents. Um, and it was clear. There was money all over the place that uh, he couldn't possibly 
uh, account for. And that's what your new book is about, right? The betrayal? Yeah. That's, I just got it from you today. I will be reading that on the plane home tomorrow. Looking forward to reading it. Oh. And I got to tell you, after you did your presentation, and I missed the uh, the sit-down you two had. Mm. We were we were doing a full-blown interview back here. But I walked up. I was walking back to the green room, and every uniform officer I went by said, that was unbelievable. That's what I was telling them. I, the, the folks doing security here and everything, I said, that was fucking amazing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So no, you, a good story. And, 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 you know, obviously you handled yourself in a professional manager, manner manner, which I think is what impressed the hell everybody, because most every other cop in here would probably punch that son well, down you out. Sm- you smacked him down in a very elegant way without smacking him down. I mean, you rebutted stuff, but um, we've only Sweet. got a few minutes here because we're trying to keep these under 30, but sure. tell us about the... Um, um, you've also, hopefully, it sounds potentially maybe have some Hollywood interest in the betrayal. Yeah. Um, Amazon Studios bought the film rights uh, from me and also um, agreed to have me as one of the producers. Brian and Cranston um, has gotten a deal with them. Where have we heard that name before? Brian? Brian Cranston. <laughs> no, dude, he's he's dirty. Dude deals meth. <laughs> yeah, Stay away from him. Yeah. <laughs> so we're basically taking the team from the infiltrator, uh, director uh, Brad Furman. Uh, um, we're going to also try to get John Leguizamo and Benjamin Bratt um, that will fictionally be into it yeah. and um, and do a sequel. Uh, but the, with the writer strike right now, nobody can touch anything. Yeah, and um, and so it it has at least four or five months of work that the screenplay needs. But the good thing is, Amazon Studio it they've got the money, mm-hmm. so it's not like they're going to have to go find investors or anything. It's, yeah, it'll fly as soon as they're happy with the screenplay. Sweet. Sweet, man. Well, I got to tell you, we can hear that they're coming back from break, so we want to yep. get out and sell books. Capitalism, comrade. That's, That's a great right, thing. Right? That's what it's all about. Hey, well, look, best of luck. Like I said, it was it was great to meet you in person. Obviously, we did this uh, over video to begin with, but great presentation. And, uh, I mean, you guys got to get it. It's called, it's called The Betrayal. We'll have it on our book site, too. The Betrayal, the true story of my brush with death in the world of narcos and launderers by Robert Mazur, your follow-up book to The Infiltrator. Dude, best of luck. And we'll wait to you, – you should tell them you want a cameo. You want a cameo in the next – I might movie. do that. Yeah. They were going to – you know, in the first – in The Infiltrator, they tried to get me to be the priest oh, yeah. at the wedding at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and I turned them down. No, that, that would have been cool, man. <laughs> you got to do a Stephen JP. And even if it's three seconds to the end, you got to have a cameo in this. That's it, brother. <laughs> All right. Toast a beer. <laughs> Good luck, Bob. All right. Thanks, thanks a lot, Bob. guys. Thank Take you. Care. guys i mean what else can we say we're just going to keep this outro short because we kept you guys a little bit long on the front end but hey um i mean what else can you say murph i mean the the stories nobody hears from them um we got the follow-up so man great stuff and we hope you guys enjoyed that yeah we want to hear from you our listeners what you think about this it's not that we're being repetitive we just wanted to update you on some of our previous guests on the show who were gracious enough to come back on we want to say Thank you, thank you, thank you for continuing to support us. We hope we're here another two years with you. We're hoping this thing is going to grow. We've got some potential new avenues that we'll talk about later on, but uh, none of this is possible without you. So please, uh, what is it you say, Morgan? 
Tell one, share one. Yeah, tell one, share one. Let it give everybody the gift of Game of Crimes. And if you want to help us out, go to Apple and Spotify. Hit those five stars. Let us know what you think about the show. It's magic. We don't know how it works. We just know it does. Head on over to GameofCrimesPodcast.com for more information about the show. All of our books on there. And Bob Mazur's new book will be up there. Uh, We will put it up there so you'll be able to see some of the updates that are there. Uh, Follow us on social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Make sure you go to patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. Joining us there, we got great stuff going on and Game of Crimes fans at Facebook. Uh, Our our fan group run by uh, Sandy Salvato, our mafia queen who rules with the Velvet Glove. Just head on over there and have lots of fun. So guys, we're going to keep the outro short. But again, it's been two years. 104 episodes. We want to thank you guys from the bottom of our heart for being there, for supporting us, for giving us inspiration. And thank all of you for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the two-year-old Game of Crimes. 